0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God tempts no one. This is most certainly true. But God does indeed test his people. After coming through the Red Sea on dry ground, the people were tested with a lack of water. And the only water they could find was bitter to drink. So God told Moses to put the tree in the water so that the people might drink and be saved. Thus foreshadowing holy baptism, where the tree of the cross is joined to the baptismal waters, which now save us. For God's people, the testing continued. After it was water, it was food. In the wilderness of sin, aptly named if you ask me, the congregation grumbled in hunger until God gave them bread from heaven. And we see from our Lord's own sermon in John chapter 6 that this bread from heaven was a foreshadowing of him. He is the true bread from heaven. And unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, he preached, you have no life in you. Well, After the water and food, the testing continued. After food, it was water yet again. Our text this evening records this event. The people moved on from the wilderness of sin to Rephidim, where they again found no water. After grumbling at Moses, because it's always easier for us to criticize our leaders than be humble and pray, the Lord instructs Moses to take up the staff that was used to strike the Nile. You may recall how the Lord used this same staff to strike the waters of the Nile, turning its waters into blood. In this instance, the wood touched the water and the water turned from sweet to bitter, from drinkable to undrinkable, from life to death as all the dead fish demonstrated. Stop and think, if you're used to this passage, how strange this actually is. Why, of all things, does our Lord choose to turn the water into blood? There's a very interesting play on this in John's Gospel, where Jesus first turns water to wine and then wine to blood, and he gives his disciples blood to drink, not as a plague and curse, but rather as the profoundest blessing, not as death, but as life, as our Lord himself preaches. Only if we drink his blood do we have life. So the staff that God tells Moses to take at Rephidim is itself filled with theological meaning. And what else might we say in order to summarize simply that the New Testament teaches us how the Old Testament is entirely about Christ? With that staff, God instructs Moses to strike the rock at Horeb so that water will flow out from it and the people will drink. Again, we have to stop and think if we're accustomed to this text at how strange this really is. Getting water from a rock? is as strange as getting water from thin air. And likewise, we should note that there's enough water flowing from this rock to satisfy at minimum tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands, and many animals too. That rock may well have been multiple stories in height, and the water that flowed from it would almost certainly have to have flown like a river. Moses did as the Lord commanded. And again, consider how strange this sounds. The people drank from the rock. If God can make bitter water sweet with a tree and cause bread to fall like rain and bring a river of water from a rock in the middle of the desert, what can't he do? Perhaps more importantly, what won't he do for his people? And that's precisely the point in all of this. God isn't testing the people with thirst and with hunger because he doesn't know who they are or how they're going to act. He tests them so that they will know who he is and how he will act. Yes, even when they have utterly failed at his tests again and again and grumbled against him again and again in shameful unbelief, in outright contempt. God is so good, he will not let our sins get in the way of his goodness. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 103. So once more, God does not test us so that he will learn something. He tests us so that we will learn something, both about who we by nature are and who he by nature is. What kind of God is God? He is the kind of God who fills blaspheming lips with life-giving water, and resentful bellies with heavenly bread. He is the kind of God who will lay down his own divine life for his creatures, yes, even for creatures who hate him, so that he might redeem them and bring them back to himself and back to life. Lent is an opportunity for us to reflect on our lives. And tonight, it is a call to reflect on our lives in the way of this biblical paradigm, to see what we are experiencing in our lives as tests. In what ways are you being tested? In what ways do you lack something essential for your well being? In what areas have your troubles gone up over your head? Sometimes the power of sin, our past sins, our present sins, our repeating sins, and yes, the sins of others. Sometimes the power of sin makes us feel as though we are dying, and in a profound way that feeling is true. Who then is God? And what kind of God is God? He is the one to whom we may turn, who will hear our prayers, our laments, and when we can't even bring ourselves to speak the words, our groans, even if they're only in the heart. And, yes, he is the God who even hears our grumbling. And he will give to us not as our sins deserve, but according to his mercy, his grace, and his steadfast love. Jesus is the express image of God. Jesus is who God is. And on the cross, giving his life for us, he reveals to us the heart of God. While all of this is certainly true, it is also true that we must be aware of just how wicked the sinful nature in us is, and how sophisticated its wickedness is. The sinful nature within us will attempt to use and abuse this very graciousness of God. Why else would Saint Paul write to the Christians in Rome Should we go on sinning that grace may abound? Absolutely not. But if left unchecked, that's precisely what the sinful flesh in us will do. The sinful nature will use the graciousness and patience of God as the very platform for sin and for sinning more and more until we finally have departed entirely from God. Notice how St. Paul uses this text from Exodus 17 as he writes to the Christians in Corinth. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Thus far, St. Paul, while some might not like the kind of theology St. Paul is doing, His point, nonetheless, could not be more clear. Those in the wilderness had a baptism. Those in the wilderness had a spiritual food and a spiritual drink. Those in the wilderness had Christ present with them. Yet with most of them, God was not pleased. Christ with us in the waters of holy baptism Christ with us in the spiritual food and spiritual drink of the Holy Sacrament. Christ with us as the true shepherd and bishop of our souls. These are not reasons for us to be nonchalant about sin, to sin boldly, as that's often interpreted, or to sin more. As Luther would write, we must keep the gospel in our conscience and away from our flesh. And we must keep the law in our flesh and away from our conscience. What happens if we allow the law into our conscience? Gnomianism, legalism, works righteousness resulting in prideful unbelief or despairing unbelief. What happens if we allow the gospel into our flesh? anti antinomianism, the forgiveness of God, becomes permission to do and to sin as we please. St. Paul calls this putting Christ to the test. While it's perfectly fine for God to put us to the test, after all, God is God. We are not to put him to the test. And Paul warns us of the great temporal and eternal consequences that can result If our sinful nature goes unchecked, just as it did for the Israelites who experienced all the gracious miracles of God and simply went on sinning until they finally managed to do what is almost impossible. They kindled the anger of the one who is slow to anger and were overthrown in the wilderness and forbidden from entering the promised land. These serve as an example to us, St. Paul says. Let's not do what they did. When Moses strikes the rock, what's striking, pun fully intended, is that, you're welcome, (laughs) is that God has him strike the wrong thing. It should have been the people who were struck for their blasphemous grumbling. But God instructs Moses to strike the rock instead of them. And as we heard moments ago, St. Paul tells us that that rock was Christ. So we see that it is Christ who is here struck instead of the people. Yes, for the people. And from him they receive the mercy of God flowing out and quenching their thirst and filling them with life. As Moses strikes the rock instead of the people, so the law strikes Christ instead of us. As the rock is struck with the staff of Aaron, Christ is struck with the spear of the soldier. As the water flows from the side of the rock, water and blood flow from the side of Christ. As the water from the rock gives life to Israel, so the water and blood from Christ give life to us. In times of testing, we must see that even though we fail, God does not strike us down as we deserve. The rock is struck instead of us, and from him we receive forgiveness, life, and revelation of who God is and of how God is. We receive the water and blood that flow from Christ to the font and to the chalice, for in these we find forgiveness, and in these we find life, and we see too that all God's testing is for our good, that we may know our sin and his goodness, and so feel our true and complete dependence upon him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.